Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer. Father, it's just a joy that we can come together and worship you as brothers and sisters in Christ, joined together by the blood of your Son, cleansed, forgiven, accepted. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the 10th chapter of Romans as we continue our study this morning. And I started chapter 10 last week. And to keep everything in context, I'll read verses 1 through 5. I preached 1 through 4 last week, but 4 and 5 we're going to join together this week. It reads, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, in seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. And I would like to point out as we continue on through Romans chapter 10, and as Paul goes into detail about why Israel rejected Christ, we're about to enter a period in the chapter which gives great contrast And that contrast is between the law and the gospel. And if you look at four and five together, Paul is starting that contrast. Let's look at it again. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. So on one hand, in verse 4, we have Christ, who he says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And then in 5, we see, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Moses is going to represent the law. Christ is going to represent grace. And it reminds me of that great verse found in the first chapter of John, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fact, Doug Moo, in his commentary on Romans points out that the reformers draw a distinct line between the law and the gospel here as it relates to salvation. And he goes on with this great quote. He says that 
The law is whatever God commands us to do. The gospel is what God in his grace gives to us. Let me read that again. The law is whatever God commands us to do. The gospel is what God in his grace gives to us. In other words, the law is works. Grace is faith. And there's numerous verses in the Bible that point to the law as works. And if you think about works and understanding those verses, it means effort, doesn't it? If you're going to keep the law, it involves effort. And I want to read a few of those today to give our passage proper meaning. Romans 3, verse 27, Paul wrote, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And if you think about that in context, if the law is going to be kept, it involves effort and in keeping the works of the law, there is deeds, correct? It's a works-based system. Galatians 2, 15, Paul wrote, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by, here's the phrase again, the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Later on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul wrote, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but by the man who does them shall live by them. Both in Romans and here in Galatians, Paul uses the same quotation. Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does them shall live by them. That's from Leviticus chapter 18. So the law is about works. And I want to spend the rest of my time this morning pointing out the great contrast between the works of the law and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think it's so important that we as believers understand the contrast. Because when you understand the contrast between works and faith and grace, you have a deepened appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think about the law, it's external. It was external from the beginning. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, when the Lord gave the law to Moses, 
He told Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. The law was always external. God gave it externally. And if you think about that, here until, I guess, 15 or 20 years ago, I guess it was, that in most courthouses in America, you would... Approached the courthouse and what did you find? A monument to the Ten Commandments. It's external. People walked by it every day. There it was. There's the law. We've adopted it into our criminal code, right? Our criminal code is based upon the law. God's law. It's external. Every day at the courthouses across America, people are sentenced to face incarceration or fines based upon the law. Whether they believe in the law of God, we've adopted it, it's external, it's in the code. But that's not Christianity. The law is external. Christianity is internal. And in fact... You can see this in Ezekiel 36, and this is in context is relating to the remnant of Israel that will eventually be saved, but here it describes salvation perfectly. In Ezekiel 36, verse 24, God said, For I will take you among from the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols, And here in verse 26, it starts describing the salvation experience. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. From the law to grace, you go from something external that is there that you have to work to keep it. But my friends in grace, it's eternal and you desire to keep it. As I've said before, He changes our have-tos into want-tos because we've had a transformation because of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Not only that, is the law external, The law also is impossible. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 said this, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. James 2 verse 10 says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For whoever shall keep the law, the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. In other words, there's no scale. There's no scale. And if you've gone to school, 
you went through school with scale grading. I remember when I was in college, I was taking an accounting course. I didn't like accounting much, and I was extremely fortunate on my first test. I made a 95. I never made a 95 on an accounting course before, but I made a 95 in the first exam. And as a college student, I was guilty of grade management. So then I went through and I figured out exactly what my score would need to be on all of the remaining tests so I could walk out with a B. It was a scale grade because I had to spend some other time on other exams. I had it figured out. It was on a scale. A, B, C, D, right? The law is not on a scale. It's either perfect or you fail. That's what it says in James. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. It's impossible to keep. We've all been found guilty. That's what Solomon said. There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. I'm amazed when you talk to people outside of the church and they say, well, I'm just not going to go to church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, come join us. We're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. We cannot stand on the law. We have no merit. It is impossible. But my friends, with faith and grace... Christ turns the impossible to possible. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus Christ takes the impossible and turns it into possible. Jesus Christ took a man who was planning to jail and imprison And beat Christians. He took him and he changed him into the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He took the impossible in Saul and put the possible in Paul. That's what Christ does. The law can't do it. Because in the law we've already failed. There's no grade. It's pass or fail, and we've all failed. It's possible with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul describes himself as the chief among sinners, he recognizes the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see that there is legalism in the law. What do I mean by that? If you've ever gone to a legalistic church, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It's not just the law, but it's the expectation that the legalist builds around the law that's incorporated in how one is judged. It's the weakness of humanity. 
And that's what the Hebrews had done through the scribes and the Pharisees. It was law plus. Law plus. If you recall earlier in Romans 10, as I opened up the study last week, I made mention that they had built their own system. They had built their own form of righteousness. And that's what happens with the law. It's the law plus. And in Matthew 23, starting in verse 1, it says that Jesus spoke to the multiples and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. That's what we find in legalism. Men takes the law, and then because they can't keep the law, they design their own system. They design their own system. It's not based on Scripture. And that system that they design finds one under a heavy burden. And while legalism is burdensome, Christ with grace is uplifting. And in fact, that was the call of Christ. If you think about Matthew 11, verse 28, it's a verse that we all recognize where Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's what Christ does. That's the great contrast between the law and grace. The law is burdensome. The law is heavy. The yoke is heavy because it cannot be kept. It's a weight on our shoulders. And Jesus Christ removes all of that. We find rest in Christ. We find burden in the law. We find rest in Christ because Christ transforms us and He changes us. Someone may say, well, then what's the purpose of the law? As we look at Moses and as we look at Christ, the law and grace works in tandem. The law was never meant to save. The law was never meant to save. Galatians 3 verse 24, Paul wrote this. He goes, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Think about that with the words that we've already studied in Romans 10 in our focal passage. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. You can't do it. Can't keep it. And in fact, that time's already passed in our life, hasn't it? When... We're born as sinners. We're born as sinners. And if you've ever raised children, you'll know 
You never had to teach your kids to sin, did you? It comes naturally. You got to teach them to do good. You don't have to teach them how to sin. They figure that out all by themselves. It's in the nature, isn't it? It's part of us. It is who we are. And we've got to recognize that. We've got to recognize that we are incapable of keeping the law. But I will say this from our standpoint of being a believer. Just like the Hebrews wanted to return to bondage in Egypt and yearn for Egypt, I think there is, unfortunately, the time when people yearn to live under a legalistic system in which they have built and find themselves acceptable. You have it all across America When we come together and we go, well, society should be doing this and society should be doing that. And I've got this special cause and I've got that special cause and I've got this thing that I've got to worry about. And we have these single issue things that we're concerned about. I'll tell you right now, that's an absolute waste of time. People look at that and they go, I'm justified because... I don't do that particular thing. Man, look at the rest of the world. If they would just get that fixed, it's a moral cause. But that's not going to solve the problem of mankind. There's only one thing that solves mankind's problem, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have all of the single issue focus groups and things to solve society's issues and make society better. My friends, nothing's going to change with our country until the country returns to the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest is a waste of time. And if the church would come together collectively and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ in mankind's need for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that would be our mission, you could perhaps see revival if it's in God's will. But a single issue problem, just not going to cut it. Because the law is the tutor that brings us to Christ. The law works with grace and points out man's utter need for a Savior because the time of living a righteous life in our own strength is gone. Is gone. And as a believer, and unfortunately what happens with this is is that people, because they don't understand the work of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ is doing for them, They look at their salvation event as that one-time event, and then they're in control. And unfortunately, you work with a lot of believers who that's, that's their thought. Okay, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ back at such and such date. And now I'm on my own. And I'm living a life of legalism, if you will. I don't do that. I don't do this. That's not what's getting you into heaven. And that's not what's keeping you 
Because, see, Christ's work, what he's doing right now, right now, at this very moment, he's interceding for both you and me. That's what the Bible says. It says in Romans 8, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now think about that. Right now, Christ is making intercession for us at this very moment. What does that imply? That you need interceding, right? That you need interceding. That your life, think about this, your life is not up to par. And you need the intercession, the intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all day long we have an accuser, don't we? All day long we have an accuser in Satan. He's accusing us. But there you have Jesus Christ interceding for us based upon the work of Christ on the cross. Now, as we progress in Romans chapter 10, my goal for this is is that we truly understand and appreciate who Jesus Christ is and what he does. Because I first met Jesus Christ in 1976, but I've needed him every single day since then. Every single day, I need Jesus Christ. I need his intercessory work. I need his guidance. I need his truth. I need his word. I need the fellowship of his saints. I need the institution of his church. I need the institution that he's developed and that I can cling to because I need it because I'm weak. And you need it because you're weak. And the world needs it because they're weak. And we need to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the mission of this church. This mission of the church isn't morality. It's not, quote, doing good. The scribes and Pharisees did that quite well. And they still needed Jesus Christ, didn't they? Because we are flawed and we're weak. And as we come together here on Sunday, we should exalt the name of Jesus. Because it's not what I did or you did during the week. It's not any little bit of righteousness that we may have accomplished. My friends, Jesus Christ is transforming. The law came from Moses, but grace and truth came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for the wonderful gift that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, for forgiveness where we haven't appreciated it, where we've become callous to it. I pray, Lord, that we might have a joy, a joy in your truth, a joy in your gift. I pray, Lord, that you may open our eyes so that we might see how desperately the world is in need of a Savior. I pray, Lord, that we might proclaim it, that we truly might be the ambassadors that you've called us to be. I pray if there's someone listening that doesn't know you as Savior. I pray, Lord, today might be the day that they might accept you 
as Lord and Savior of their life, asking for forgiveness of sins, repenting from those sins and turning to you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.